Welcome to New Mexico and Focus, the podcast for May 30th, 2022. I'm your host, Kevin McDonald, executive producer here at New Mexico PBS. A long weekend, but we wanted to get you some extra content to help uh, get you through the long weekend or get you started into the week as it starts up again tomorrow. We've been working real hard on a lot of things. Our most recent episode largely focused on wildfire, which continues to dominate the headlines here in New Mexico. But we're going to move things around here a little bit for this episode, starting with a fascinating conversation on an issue we've talked about a lot on the show in recent years. That's the missing murdered indigenous women uh, issue uh, and the movement to try to bring an end and really get our arms around domestic violence in Indian country. In this latest episode or segment, we caught up with the FBI, who's trying some new techniques, including uh public service announcements in the Diné language, uh, the native language of the Navajo Nation, in attempts to uh, help build up leads and information and really get a grasp on this, as well as we were joined by Navajo law enforcement officials. And uh, just a fascinating conversation here with correspondent Antonia Gonzalez. Special Agent Buhanda and Captain Leslie, welcome to New Mexico in Focus. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Special Agent, why don't you let us know and tell us a little bit about how this initiative using the Navajo language came about. So the initiative was really to try to reach uh, the communities a, a little better than we've done in the past. So what we're trying to focus on is trying to get the communication out there in a form that made sense. So. We're great about talking and putting things together and putting messages out as far as an, as an organization. But we knew we were missing the one piece, which is that we weren't writing in the Navajo language, that we weren't communicating in the Navajo language. So our primary focus was just do just that, was to be able to create the posters that we had already done, that we've done a good job for over 100 years, but making them uh, posters that were in the Navajo language and then taking it a step forward because we realize in this process that a lot of people don't read the Navajo language, but they can, they speak it, they speak it very well. So then it was a purpose, it was purposeful for us to get that, uh, that message out in the Navajo language as well through broadcast and primarily through radio. And Captain Leslie, we know that the Navajo language was used, it's well known for its use in World War II with the Navajo Code Talkers as an unbreakable code and how difficult, and there must have been some challenges trying to get some information or even words uh, for the FBI use. Yes, it's, 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 a, unique, it's a unique language. Uh, you know, we sit there and we talk, we discuss that. The Navajo Nation is 25,000 square miles. So you have different uh, locations, people who grew up in different parts of the locations. There's slang Navajo and there's not. And I used to sit there and I used to listen to my, mom, my, my grandmothers. One is from Arizona, one is from uh, in Arizona. And there's different meanings to certain things and they would chuckle and, and, and start, you know, like little children. And they'll say, okay, um, what does this word mean over there? This means this and that. And it's pretty unique and, and um, you know, that's, it's, the Navajo language is unique in itself and also in writing because it's, it's pretty hard to, to write as well. So. Yeah, we weren't going to try to guess either. We just went straight right. to the experts and had them <laughs> kind of help us out. And we used people that were Navajo to be able to do this for us. The FBI is getting better, becoming a little bit more diverse, but we're far from being there. So we rely on our partnership. 
and the ads are both on the radio, posters, and there was some audio announcements that later went on with the posters. Have you, has, has, have the ads been successful in gathering any information? So unfortunately, not quite there yet, but it doesn't mean that we're going to stop. We're going to continue. I think with the next level, what we're trying to get at is to be more at the events. So it's one thing to be able to put a message out there, whether it's on a poster or to put an ad on a radio. But I think there's still that piece, and I think it's, it's very unique, like in my background, being of Mexican descent and obviously understanding everyone's that we're all different. And sometimes we have to make those connections in person. So that'll be the next level of being able to continue that messaging, not only through the poster, through the ads we've done, but now going and having conversations within the community at the event so that we can continue to message that, that same theme and be able to just put a face to it, right? So let's build some trust so that you can feel comfortable reaching out to the FBI and providing us any information that's going to help us find any of these missing individuals and some of these murder investigations that have been ongoing for way too long. And um, you bring up a good point, uh, Captain Leslie. We know in Native communities across the country, there is a mistrust of law mm -hmm. enforcement often. So how is the Navajo Nation law enforcement and the FBI working together to try to have build trust with Navajo people? It's, it, it goes back to law enforcement academies, in my perspective. When you tell somebody, somebody you're going to do something, you have to do it. That's where your trust begins. They, they, if you're going to tell somebody you're going to be back and interview people or come back and look into this, you have to do it. They'll remember that. And if you don't do it, then the trust starts, okay, they're just coming in, you know, um, they're not going to live up to what they're, they're saying. And so when you start building that rapport and that trust with people, it, it starts coming together. And it's the Navajo people, especially the elderly, they're, they're really um, quiet, but they listen, they learn, they're observant. And when you start talking to them, you know, being respectful is number one. And that's where the, the cultural sensitivity classes come in for the FBI agents who are assigned to the, to the region. That comes in very handy, and we go out there and, and we'll, we'll, you know, tag team uh, interviews and, 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 and work that way and build that trust with grandma and grandpa, or even the elderly, you know, the aunties, the uncles. So, you know, that, that is a big, um, it's a momentum builder. That's what gets the case headed in the right direction for these missing people. And so how is the FBI building trust with not only Navajo people, but there's a lot of different Pueblo communities in New Mexico as well, and Apache nations. So we're doing that in the same, in all the different areas, it's the same thing. Is uh, we're not trying to put the wrong person in front of these communities because it, we've learned over the years that that just doesn't build trust, just like the captain said. What we're trying to do is put the right people so that they get the right message across. And if we have those individuals within not only just the FBI, but just law enforcement in general, partnering together is a huge thing because we want to be able to go there and get the right message because that's the only way we can build on the trust and ultimately get accomplished what we're trying to get accomplished, which is to bring some resolve. And uh, we're not going to do it. We're just trying to get in there and force people to give us information that don't necessarily have trust for us. And if we build on that, then we're going to get there. And sensitivity training, like uh, Captain mentioned, that's something that the FBI has been big on. But uh, really what we're pushing now is we just need to have more of the community and the people that we serve be like us inside the walls as well, right? Hire more of those individuals so that they can go back. And they already have that, right? To them, that's not an obstacle. 
because this is where they grew up. These are their aunties, these are these uncles, these are their, their grandparents. So they already have that in place and that is how we make a difference. And Captain Leslie, there are a lot of issues when it comes to law enforcement issues on the Navajo Nation and other tribes across the country, jurisdiction issues. Right. I mean, we can go down a list of how many, <laughs> how many, just the challenges and being a sovereign nation as well. Um, so how important is the FBI when it comes to investigating these cases? It's very important. They're a big helpful resource. The resources that, resources that we don't have on the reservation, the Navajo Indian Reservation, or any reservation, the resources that they supply, you know, the um, information, background searches, and everything that involves an investigation. Uh, you know, you start off with a missing person and you start working from there backwards to when the last time person was seen. Uh, how do we know where this person has lived? And when you have people that move on and off the reservation, they don't just live in one area. They, uh, I've had people off the now reservation, I work in districts, District 3, which is the Crown Point Agency. And when we're looking for you know, a certain person to, to run a search, a background in them, with them, with the FBI's assistance, we'll find that they move continuously in the city of Albuquerque, grants, you know, the, the housing uh, communities around off the reservation. And they don't live there for too long. They move, they move, and, you know, wouldn't be odd. We're, we're on the right track there in New Mexico, and then boom. Now they're living in Phoenix. So it's like, okay. So we have to send people down there to start doing interviews around that area as well. So it really comes in handy, the resource ones. And anything to add to that? It, it's exactly. I mean, we have to leverage each other's resources. Uh, there's some different things that we're looking at from the FBI piece. So, so the one part, and it's in our name, right, we investigate things. That's one of the uh, troubling things that we've had in past years is that how does the FBI that primarily focus on, on an investigation deal with the missing piece, right? So, and I know there's, a, you know, and rightfully so, a lot of criticism about why aren't we doing more on the missing piece of, the, uh, of this big initiative. And it's primarily because it's not really something that we can put our hands around it. So as of recent, this office has taken it upon themselves to get those kind of thresholds in place so that we can focus on the missing piece and try to help our partners to try to locate some of these individuals because you don't know really at the end what it is that we're dealing with. These might be truly missing individuals. They might lead to an investigation because we find out facts about something of, as to how that happened, why they're missing, was there foul play, these types of things. So there is a piece that we can put our arms around, but uh, hopefully going forward, and this will be happening in the next several months, we'll have a uh, kind of a platform to be able to work with our law enforcement partners to really start putting our pieces and all our tools into place to help on the missing and not just the murder indigenous piece. And the state of New Mexico is one state that does have um, an initiative already to address missing and murdered indigenous um, mm -hmm. persons cases. The Navajo Nation working with both New Mexico, Arizona, Utah, and even in Colorado. Right. Mm -hmm. um, how do you see work to become more efficient when it comes to missing and murdered indigenous Navajo people? It's really getting out to, out to the, you know, putting word out on the public, to the public, uh, what it really entails. I've worked missing persons. Uh, you know, the uniqueness with the Navajo Nation is we have two contracts in place. One is for the Uniform Law Enforcement Department and one for the Criminal Investigations Department. So there's two different umbrellas. We have different job descriptions. So when it, let's say, for example, uh, 
law enforcement will come in and somebody will say, I want to report a missing person. So they'll take the report and they'll say, okay, where do we start from here? And if they're, you know, they, they'll come to us for technical assistance, for guidance. Okay, this is where you start from. You know, you start listing the chronological order, you know, timeline of what you want and what you're going to be needing. When it changes that when we, there's some, any type of suspicious activity or any type of foul play that might be involved, that's when they'll say, oh, got to give it over to the CI department. And then we're like, okay, because we have that joint working relationship with the FBI and the resources that we can use, we sit down and we'll start talking to agents and the criminal investigators will sit down and start, what do we have now? And they'll start taking it apart, dissecting it, and they'll start to get a, a starting point and start working there from there. But before it gets there again, it goes through the CI department. Then we look a little further into that before we call uh, our counterparts, the FBI agency, to make sure it's a legitimate missing person. And when I say I, we've, we've worked cases where people say they're missing, and you have, you know, when I heard the term, uh, is it a legitimate missing person, I kind of scratched my head. I said, what do you mean? And I started thinking about it, and I'm like, oh, okay, what they mean is that has the person really gone missing where nobody knows what happened to them? Or did this person just disappear and nobody doesn't want anybody to bother them? So we've run across that. We run into a few of those where family starts getting involved with the relationship of the missing person and their, and their significant other. When we find them, they're like, I don't want, I told my family to stay out of our relationship. You know, and the family's concerned because they have a big, uh, uh, primary responsibility of getting that, you know, that young person the education that they want, that they hadn't had. So they try to, you know, you can get a relationship until after you finish college or, you know, your schooling. So they kind of meddle in issues like that. And then finally the, the uh, female or male will say, you know, I'm done. Just leave me alone. I'm over 18. I'm 21, whatever it is. I, need, I can make up my own, my own, uh, my own uh, decisions to have a significant other. So they'll move from one part of the reservation clear to the other side with their significant other, and they won't answer the phone. They'll toss the phone, and next thing you know, the family will start saying, we got a missing person. This person is abusive and all the things that aren't true. So we'll end up taking the case and finding out where this person is. And it takes days, you know, many miles and logging in hours. And by the time we find the, the individual, they're, they're okay. So what we end up doing is, okay, the agent will, the CI or, you know, the agent will call the parents up and say, they're standing right here, they're okay, they just, they just don't want you guys meddling, meddling in their affairs. Here they are, and they want to speak to you. So they'll say, they'll say what they need to say, and we're done, okay. So we run across a few of those, those are, you know, that, that happen. And there's also the ones that go, person who have substance abuse problems, they end up, going off in the middle of the night and it's, you know, not dressed for the elements and they, get, they succumb to the elements and nobody knows where they're at. So we end up going out there. Law enforcement is really, really big and helpful on that and, and search, setting up searches and stuff. So all the resources all coming together. ATVs, everything, drones and everything are out there searching the area and it's for miles and it's for days. What people don't realize is that the resource, the budgets that we have they're getting eaten up, and they don't understand that. You know, our hands are tied in some of these situations. But it's, it's kind of hard to tell them that, explain it to them, especially if you know, their loved ones are missing. So it's like, okay, we'll help as much as we can. But when we do find the person, 
the remains. It's a recovery, so we end up doing what we need to. The autopsies, everything that come into play, and it's like, okay, we don't see any type of injuries, whatever it is, the pathologist will make that determination. They do a fine, you know, the forensic part of that, and they'll say, okay, um, this is what we come up, based on your investigation, based on our findings as a pathologist, you know, they'll, they'll give a cause of death. Sometimes they won't. They'll put it as unknown. But the family is, it's, it's really hard for them to accept that. So you run into a lot of that, and, it, and it's like, okay, we, we try to do our best to do, with what we have, and you know, it's up to them if they're going to accept it or not. So we do run into a few of those. And if the public does have some information on these homicide cases or cold cases, uh, where do they go? What do they do? I mean, they could always contact the FBI, 1-800-CALL-THE-FBI or tips.fbi.gov. Uh, that information will get funneled. If it's something that we need to pass on to Navajo Nation, Navajo PD, we'll do that. If it's something that we need to follow up on, a little bit that, that was mentioned is, so the one good piece is people do sometimes wander off the reservation, they move on to different areas, different parts of the country, and part of this platform that we're trying to build is so that we make those connections so that we can reach out to uh, these individuals and, and close the connection. And, and it might be just, just like it was explained, that uh, these individuals wanted to leave for whatever reason, they wanted to leave. So they, in their mind, they're not missing, they, they chose to. But if we make that connection and then we update our records, this way the next time that inquiry comes again, whether it's from the family or someone else, they can see when they reach out to any law enforcement agency when they query that this individual is not missing, this individual chose to start a new life somewhere else or whatever the case may be. Or there's a contact that can be given out and so you can reach this person at this number. And, and so therefore they can have that closure for whatever that case may be. And there's some others that are just gonna be that start off as you know as a missing person and you, know, you succumb to the elements or an actual investigation because there was foul play. And that's something that we can continue to work regardless of whether we're talking about somewhere on the reservation or off the reservation on whatever part of the country that may be. And what can the public do on the Navajo Nation if they have some information? They can call the police department. Their phone numbers are listed. Each police district has their own phone number. They can call there and even if it's a, a uh, missing person off the reservation. They can call us and um, we'll get in touch with the local agency where that person actually originated from or the report originated from. So we do work together with uh, a lot of agencies that are off the reservation. And, uh, you know, that's the thing that we really look at is, you know, what we really look at is we're always behind from the beginning point, I mean, the late disclosures of the missing person. They wait for months, sometimes years, before even they even call the law enforcement agency. And so my question would be, why did you wait so long? Well, we really didn't think he would take us seriously. No, you know, it's not. Things have changed for the better, from my perspective, from when I first started to now. You know, everybody takes everything. You know, we try to take everything as serious because, you know, that's a somebody's loved one. Doesn't matter what they're with their medical or, or even their, um, um, their uh, um, if they're not wanting to be found or if they, you know, they're, they're alcoholics, whatever it is, you know, that's still, I always tell them, that's somebody, that's somebody that you guys love. And that's the way I want to look at everything. And the bottom line is the disclosure. They want a closure. They want closure on all of this. But when you get family members that aren't willing to cooperate, 
that's an uphill battle. And I've run into quite a few of those. And it's just for the simple fact they don't like law enforcement. Uh, because, you know, um, I'm not, you know, I tell everybody there's good and bad, you know, everywhere. And you're going to have good officers, bad officers. But we're out there to try to help you guys, you know, find your loved one. You know, give us that. Give us that, you know, we're, we're trying to help you. So help us help you in a way that, you know, we're not here to throw anybody in jail. And that's one of the main things that they're really, really uh, afraid of, especially the elders. They don't really understand how the law works. So you have to explain it to them. You know, they don't want their, their family members to get in trouble. And they know, they've known for a lot of time, for a long time, this person walked off with this person. And they can't, this, and this, um, my, my nephew or grandson came back home alone. And that was one of the aha moments. Okay, so why couldn't you have set a stand? Because I didn't want them to get them in trouble and stuff. Well, we're not here. To, we're here to help find your loved one. So those are really key things that we need to talk about. And nobody really likes to talk about their their bad history and, and your know, history with that person. So those are the things that we, we always run against, come up against. And when it comes to this initiative in the Navajo language, what's next? So what's next is right now is just kind of that platform I was talking about. So we've been working with all the local uh, tribal partners to include BIA to pull everyone's records. So everyone's done a good job in their all respective lanes building these databases of individuals that have gone missing or these unsolved murder investigations and but everything's done differently we all have different ways of how we categorize and how we collect data so we're trying to take all that data and make it streamlined so that a search on regardless of how I search will give you some results if there's something to be had in that information so we're cleaning up that data and then then we're just going to offer it up. We're starting with the state of New Mexico. This is where we're home. This is our home, right? We want to make sure that we start here. We have a good test bed here to make sure that we have all our data like it needs to be. And then start to follow up on some of those leads to those, uh, to those, to try to find and locate these individuals. Then from there, and then we open it up to the country, right? Then pretty much once you make it a all law enforcement, then it's open up to the world. And then we'll be able to try to set those leads regardless of where these individuals have gone that the, we can bring some closure, just like we had said. It's all about bringing some closure to the people that care about these individuals. These are their loved ones. These are the people they consider to be the most important things in their life. We want to make sure that we do everything we possibly can. We don't want them to feel that there's, that you shouldn't go to law enforcement for whatever the reason might be or whatever the reservation might be because we're here to do the right thing. And yes, there's always some bad apples in there, but we want to go ahead and overcome that. I think I I would speak for both of us that there's more good that there is ever bad now and we're all on the right path to do the right things in the right way and if we continue on this this what I think is going to be great for not only the state but for all of us all together is that now we have a good starting point and we'll continue to do the other things as well we're not going to stop with just not doing those things because I think there is something to be said to continue to have that dialogue regardless of how that dialogue is happening and all those different mediums but this is just another tool and in law enforcement it's all about the tools that you have that make you successful the more you have right well special agent buhanda and captain leslie thank you so much for joining us today on new mexico in focus thank you for having us
It is election season. No doubt you know that if you turned on your TV or your radio or picked up a paper. We are in the primary election early voting time period here in New Mexico for the midterm elections. And our line opinion panel on our most recent show had a go at some of the latest developments in the race, especially the Republican race for the nomination for the gubernatorial race. Uh, The winner goes up against of course, incumbent Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham. Also, we've talked about this a bit in the past, but the Democrat on the other side, the Democrats running uh, for attorney general, among other things. Of course, a lot of these conversations are always going to come back to a discussion about the money. So we've got some of that for you as well. want to remind you who our line opinion panelists are in this episode. We've got Dan Foley, former House Minority Whip, Inez Russell Gomez of the Santa Fe New Mexican and Serge Martinez, an attorney, line regular and professor over at the UNM Law School. So let's dive right into it and we'll have more on the elections coming up in a bit as well. We'll get back to our response to those wildfires in a little over 10 minutes. But first, we're looking ahead to the primary election now just a week and a half away. Let's start by welcoming our line opinion panelists this week. Good to see Serge Martinez back with us. He's a professor at the UNM School of Law. We're also joined by two other panelists, Inez Russell-Gomez, editorial page editor at the Santa Fe New Mexican, and Daniel Foley, former New Mexico state representative and minority whip, I might add. Thank you all for being here. All right, early voting has started, but candidates are still getting their last shots in before election day. The biggest races we're following are for the Republican nomination for governor and the Democratic nomination for attorney general. Attack ads have ratcheted up in both races, but the GOP governor's race has been especially targeted with former weatherman Mark Ronchetti and state representative Rebecca Dow jousting over who's most like Donald Trump. Daniel Foley, let me ask you this. Is this a smart strategy for the long haul for these candidates? No. Why? Not at all. Uh, you know, you got to run in the general, mm-hmm. right? We talk about this all the time. You got to get through a primary, but you got to get through a primary in a way that you can still tack back to the middle and, uh, you know, get elected in the general election. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is a, I think this is not a great uh, uh, tactic when in the general election, the president did not win the state of New Mexico. It'd be a different conversation if Donald Trump had easily won New Mexico and you were like, okay, listen, in the general you know, he beat Biden and all of this stuff, but it, the, the state is not moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, running as far to the right as you can. And, you know, you're seeing this on both sides, right? You're seeing this in the AG race with the Democrat candidates. Let's become as progressive as we can mm-hmm. to win the primary and then figure out some way the next day to move back to the middle. Um, I just I just think it's the kind of thing that that it, it destines you for failure come general election time. Mm-hmm. Inez, interestingly, uh, Ms. Dow called Mr. Ronchetti a never-Trumper. Does that work anymore at this point? It might in the primary if he didn't have so much name recognition. Uh The problem with all of the people running against Ronchetti is that everyone knew who he was because they'd seen the weather for years, and then he had a decent run for Senate. Mm -hmm. So no one was looking at whether you were a Trump supporter or not a Trump supporter. You were looking, I think to see who would be the most strong against Michelle Lujan Grisham. Mm -hmm. Because that's what you're doing is you're nominating someone to run against the current incumbent. And I think Republicans are gonna go with the name they know. Mm -hmm. And I also think the more you focus on Trump is the more you look backward. Elections are about the future. They're not about relitigating the past. 
It only takes you, it can only carry you so far, certainly. I want you all to kind of get on, on this next one, but Sergio, I'll start with you. Recent polling from KOB shows Mr. Ronchetti, Mr. Ronchetti faring the best out of all the Republican candidates in what Inez just mentioned, a head-to-head -head race with Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham. Now, poll shows the governor with a four-point lead on Mr. Ronchetti. Jay Block had the second best shot, according to the poll. Now, are voters going to take that into account, or is it simply who they identify with most at this point? Uh, I mean, my take on it is that, yeah, the primary system is, is designed to make sure that you get the person who is least likely to, uh, you know, to, to prevail in the, in the general election, or at a minimum, it's not a concern, mm -hmm. right? And based on what I'm seeing, you know, there's some suggestion, I guess, that Ronchetti has decided to look past the, the primary because he's feeling so confident, but uh, that's not something I've noticed. It does still seem like a lot of echo chambering. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I don't think the average voter is going to, I don't know how uh, strategic that, that, you know, the voting approach is in the, in any primaries as, you know, looking around the country, seeing how, as Dan was saying, there's this race to the, to the, to the, you know, to the outside, a race away from the middle, a lot of times in primaries that is destructive and problematic and strategically debatable. Mm -hmm. Well, no, not debatable, just, I think, unsound. Sure. Hey, Dan, I'm interested in your opinion on this. In the polling, Michelle Lujan Grisham stacked against Rebecca Dow is a 48% versus 36% for Ms. Dow. I'm curious in the overall where you see Rebecca Dow right now, has something not caught on with the primary voters with her? I, I Honestly, I thought she'd be a little tighter to Mr. Ronchetti at this point. What, I'm curious your sense of it. So, so Gene, let me, oh, let me start off by saying that I, I uh, I donated to Greg Zanetti. Okay. I gave Greg Zanetti some money. So I think, you know, I want to make sure we all know that, that I, my choice in the primary has been Greg Zanetti. Appreciate that. Um, I, I think that the problem that Rebecca Dow is having is the problem that happens to, we see this at the presidential level with senatorial guys, people from the Senate that run, right? You think because you're a U.S. Senator, you got all this name recognition, but once you leave your state, no one really knows who you are. Yeah. I think Rebecca has great name recognition in her district, but getting outside of your district and, pe and thinking that people and you know the opposite end of the state know what a state representative is doing mm -hmm. um i could tell you as someone who was in the legislature and probably got as much if not more press than any legislator in living history not necessarily always good uh you'd still go places and people had no idea who you were sure. overwhelmingly had no idea who you were so so i think as inez pointed out you've got you've got a guy who's on tv that half to three quarters of the state saw every night it's a name. Whether you agree with it, disagree with it, whether you think you'll be a good governor, don't be good, it doesn't matter. Everybody yeah. else is coming from, um, you know, I'm surprised. What I am surprised at in this is that Greg Zanetti's name recognition isn't higher. He did run for office quite a few years ago. And for the longest time, he had that financial show on K KKOB, oh, the radio right. station, yeah. that you know that does amplify. And, you know, Larry Aarons thought that was going to propel him yes. in a governor's race. So I'm not surprised that Rebecca isn't doing as well as Mark Ronchetti. I think if you take a Mark Ronchetti out of the race and everybody is as is without Mark in there, I would suspect Rebecca Dow would have those higher numbers. Right. Um, but I think it's just trying to make up for that name recognition and getting that money up front to do such a thing when you know it's it's unbelievably expensive to try to get name recognition statewide in New Mexico. You make a good point there. And one more, Dan, before I go to you, Inez, uh, is there anything she can do, Ms. Dow, to close the gap at this point? Or has she swung her best punches yeah, at this I mean, point. I, I think I think it's, you know, I think right now, you know, one of the things is 
Um, once early voting has started, you know, that the time for elections is so compressed now with early voting and absentee ballots. People have made up their mind. There is so much national stuff going on right now that I'm not sure there's been a compelling uh, argument or could be a compelling argument to Trump national news that's going on to get people to focus on the primary, especially when I think all indications are mm-hmm. that most people think Michelle's going to get reelected as in the general election anyway. Mm-hmm. And as we bounce, actually, uh, Dan kind of put a good ribbon on that. Let me go to the AG's race if I can with you. Um, the Democratic Attorney General's race is the other big one, of course, on the primary ballot. State Auditor Brian Colon leading the fundraising battle over Bernalillo County DA Raul Torres. But there's been a lot of buzz around that since Mr. Colon has received significantly larger cash from out-of-state law firms. There's been some good reporting on that. Are we focusing too much on the money in this race, not the policy perspectives of each candidate at this point? I wouldn't think so, only because their policy perspectives are pretty similar. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't think there's a whole lot of space between them. And money um, can direct how you do things, and I think that's totally a legitimate point. We endorsed Cologne, but we said, you know, you're going to have to answer for where you got your money Mm -hmm. and where uh, you're going to spend it and who you're going to give contracts to. Um, because the the thing we did like about Raul Torres was that he sees the office, he wants a more vigorous staffing of the office so that the AG's office, you know, trains the best and smartest lawyers, does some of the prosecution and some of the litigation itself. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad model. With Cologne, you got someone who had a more expansive view of all the things that office could do. Mm-hmm. And um, I think though you have to look at who's giving money and who's supporting. That, that's just huge. It really is, isn't it? Yeah. Hey, Serge, you know, crime, of course, overrides the DA's race like a cloud. There's no question about it. You know, the, Mr. Torres is trying to paint himself as the law and order candidate. You know, he's got a track record that, you know, we could look at, but we often hear these types of labels in GOP races. It's interesting, isn't it? Uh, is it going to yeah. work in this case? Yeah, I mean, I, I think... To your point, I think that's right. You know, Dan was saying that he thought the AGs were trying to move to the left, and I strongly disagree. It's like they're trying to get as far as far to the right as possible, at least on crime. And mm-hmm. they're, you know, I I get, I feel like there's a, you know, a word they're trying to. They think there's, you know, you get a dollar for every time you say catch and release, um, right. and it is <laughs> it, it, it is certainly um you know the only thing and frustrating i think to someone who like me thinks the ag has actually other things that are going on in their in the job right and should be focusing on all the laws in new mexico mm-hmm. and not um just this one aspect of our constitution uh but uh i mean i i guess it must be working because you know they have people more you know who are out in the community talking to folks and seeing what folks are responding to mm-hmm. i i can't watch the debates they're just the one, the same thing again and again and again and again. And um, I'm, I don't know if that's turning anyone off, but you know, like Ines was saying, there's not a whole lot of room between them anyway. So I'm not right. sure what the point is. It's, it's uh, you know, much of a muchness when you think yep. about absolutely, absolutely. Hey, yeah, thank I you think... all for your thought. Hold on, Daniel. Sorry about that. Oh. Thank you all for your thoughts on the upcoming primary. We'll be keeping an eye on all the races leading up to the election. And remember, as Dan mentioned, early voting is underway. Producer Lou DeVizio spoke with Secretary of State Maggie Toulouse-Oliver about that and the other changes for voters during a New, Mexico in face, a New Mexico in Focus Facebook Live on Wednesday. You can find that on our Facebook and YouTube pages.
All right, we hinted at it before, but early voting is always uh, an interesting experience. It allows a lot more accessibility and flexibility for voters, and this time, uh, this go-around is especially true. You can uh, register same day that you vote here in New Mexico now, starting in this primary election. And for those of you who are declined a state or are interested in changing up your party affiliation for the primary, that is something you can now do as well. Also, we uh, know that the wildfires that we've been talking so much about have already impacted some of the early voting, uh, especially up and around Mora. And so we wanted to catch up with Secretary of State Maggie Toulouse-Oliver and try to make sure you had all the information you need to be an informed citizen and to do your civic duty here. Uh, This was a Facebook Live we did last week with our producer, Lou DeVizio, and wanted to bring all of that to you here. If you voted early, let us know what your experience was like, what you prefer about it, or if there's any challenges there. Also, if you prefer to vote absentee, which we know with COVID has become very popular. Love to hear all that. But for here now is Lou DeVizio and Secretary of State Maggie Toulouse-Oliver. I'm producer Lou DeVizio, and I'm pleased to be joined and privileged to be joined by Secretary of State Maggie Toulouse-Oliver to talk about uh, the election season as we gear up for the primary and the general coming up in November. Uh, But early voting for the primaries started already, uh, and it's expanded to a level that we haven't seen really in the past. Um, First of all, thank you for joining us, Secretary. Um, Could you explain what options are out there for voters this year when it comes to early voting? Yeah, well, thank you, first of all, for having me. And yes, we are we are well underway into this year's primary election here in New Mexico, which is, of course, officially taking place on June 7th. So we're still a couple of weeks out from Election Day. But this last Saturday, uh, early voting really opened up around the state. It's been available at county clerk's offices since uh, earlier this month. And now, if you live in a county that has expanded early voting in most of our, our larger or more urban counties do have those options to find an early voting location where close to wherever you live. Um, So that is well underway. Uh, It's going on, of course, uh, during the week. It's going on on Saturdays. And you can find a location closest to you by visiting nmvote.org. Great, great. Uh, I know you said the county clerk's offices were initially the ones offering it. And in Mora County, they were forced to move because of the fires we all know are going on. Um, But you posted on Twitter recently, the clerk's office there, they're back open, they're ready to go. Are there contingencies in place in case these fires spread and affect more areas? Yeah, this has been a a huge issue to try and navigate uh, this particular election cycle because obviously we have several counties that are being deeply affected by the wildfires and so many folks that are evacuating. So first of all, what folks should know, yes, uh, first and foremost, Mora County Clerk is back at their home office in the village of Mora. They were temporarily relocated to Wagon Mound, but that is ongoing in Mora. Um, We do have contingency plans in place for San Miguel County, Los Alamos County, Taos County, and of course we're keeping our eye uh, on a a daily basis on how the fires are evolving and how people are being impacted and if those offices should be impacted. We have plans in place to potentially relocate uh, early voting sites and election day sites if necessary, but I think the most important thing that I want to make sure folks know, particularly those who have had to relocate temporarily due to the fires is that 
voting is still available to you by absentee ballot. Um, if you can't physically be in your home county right now to vote earlier on election day, there's still plenty of time all the way until June 2nd to apply for an absentee ballot and have it mailed to you wherever you are currently residing. And that again is an option at nmvote.org or by calling your county clerk. Very good. That's what I was going to ask. So all of that's available online for people to be able to get those absentee ballots. Um, I know there are other changes expanding access this year, among them same day registration um, on election day. On election day, is that correct? Yes. Yeah, Very you good. got it. And yeah. uh, what should voters know about this before election day? Is there anything more that they need to do other than just show up to the polls? Well, yeah, you do. If you're going to participate in same day voter registration and, and who is this going to apply to, first of all, first, it's going to apply to folks who are not already registered to vote, but still want to participate in the primary election. Again, at your county clerk's office or at any polling location on election day, you have the option to register and vote at the same time in person. For folks who are registered as independents, decline to states or minor parties who are not otherwise having a, a primary election, Election, you do now have the option to register with a major party using same day registration in order to cast a ballot in the primary election. And of course, for anybody that's moved or uh, just hasn't had that chance to update their registration, uh, let's say you move from Albuquerque to Las Cruces or from Farmington to Santa Fe, you can go and use same day registration to register in your new county, update that registration and get your ballot and vote there in person. Unfortunately, same day registration does not apply to absentee voting just to that in-person voting at the clerk's office or on election day at a polling place. Got it. Uh, and for people that decline to state people who are able to vote for a major party uh, if they choose on election day, uh, have you seen any early indicators that people are taking advantage of this in early voting or just scuttlebutt at this point? Haven't seen a whole lot of data yet. Um, I would expect that, you know, we will have a number of folks take advantage of this. It's something that folks have been asking for for a long time, you know, to be able to have that voice heard in the primary election. Um, in particular, you know, there are even some people out there that maybe don't realize that they are not registered with a major party and that come to vote uh, thinking they have been registered as a Democrat, Republican, or Libertarian, uh, and they're able to do that. So it will certainly apply in those cases. Um, but what I can tell you is, you know, you do have to register with a major party. We do understand that for some people, that's just a bridge that they won't want to cross, that they, you know, would rather not affiliate with a major party and then have to change their registration back. But it is an option available for those that are willing to do that. And I really encourage those folks to do so and have their voices heard if they so choose. Okay. I, I know you just said it, but just to reiterate, if you were to if you are declined to state, you show up same day registration, register for a major party before the general election. If you wanted to vote for a different party, you would have to re-register. Is that correct? Sure. Yeah. So if you, if you really do maintain that independent or declined to state status, you can actually, you know, participate in same day registration for this primary, get your Republican, Libertarian or Democratic ballot, vote it, and then you can immediately go back home, uh, go back onto nmvote.org and change back if that's how you so choose. Of course, how you're registered won't affect uh, your, your ballot in the general election, but it could affect who reaches out to you, you know, how much mail you get, how many phone calls you get. And, and I think most importantly, you know, folks who just feel really strongly about that uh, independent status, who just really want to maintain that moving forward can absolutely do that.
Great. Thanks for clarifying that. Um, I know looking ahead to election day itself, election security has been a big topic, uh, headline for people. Um, what kind of systems and are in place to make sure that people can trust the votes, that they're being counted accurately, efficiency, efficiently, all those things. There are so many systems and so many layers um, to give just a, a brief overview, you know, from the very beginning of the election process when machines uh, that will be counting the ballots are being tested to ensure that they're counting accurately uh, before they're sent out into the field. That's a public uh, transparent process. We make sure that every single party is invited. Uh, so it's a very bipartisan process. And at every step in the way, once those machines have been programmed, um, they will be under the supervision of bipartisan groups of individuals who have to literally check and sign off uh, on every single machine, every single serial number, every time a machine is moved or opened or closed at a polling location, making sure that those uh, vote total numbers uh, the next day in early voting are the same as they were the night before when the polls closed. You know, we have bipartisan uh, election official groups at every single polling location. Decisions cannot be made. Um, that you know, affect whether or not a voter can cast a ballot without uh, three judges, uh, one at least uh, being of a different party, making a, uni uh, a unified decision. Um, and then of course, on the back end of the process, the canvas of the election, which is where our county clerks and their teams go through and make sure all the numbers add up before they're certified at the county level, then at the state level, and then by a certified public accountant that we use uh, to come in and triple check those numbers before they are certified. Um, again, at every step in the process, it's transparent, it's bipartisan, and we have so many layers of security and fail-safes in place uh, that we make sure that every single vote is completely protected, reported accurately, uh, and that voters can be confident in that election outcome. Great. With, with all those systems in place, there still is some misinformation out there, unfortunately, particularly around the 2020 election. Uh, we recently just found out that there was no significant fraud in Otero County in 2020 in a controversial audit. But, but what's your reaction to that specific case and all the conversation around it? The, the mis and disinformation about the accuracy of our elections is uh, completely political and it is uh, completely with the intent of discouraging folks from participating in the election process and sowing mis and distrust, uh, continuing to further divide our country. Um, and also for folks who are you know, thinking about whether or not they may wanna vote for the first time or whether they wanna continue voting, it's causing folks to rethink whether the, or not they even wanna participate in our democracy. And that's the saddest part because uh, our democracy is self-sustaining and it can only sustain itself if folks continue to participate in the election process. So what I would encourage folks to do is to get involved in the election if they have questions or doubts about the procedures, about the accuracy of the election process, volunteer to work as a poll worker, call your county clerk and say that you are willing to serve uh, and, and help be a part of the process that ensures the integrity of the election process. And otherwise, you know, mis and disinformation is just that. Um, it's unfortunately a part of our modern way of life. Uh, but I would apply any news that you see uh, questioning the validity 
or the security of our elections. Uh, apply a skeptical eye to that information. Uh, do additional research. We have a rumor control page on our Secretary of State website. Just Google New Mexico Secretary of State rumor control. Uh, anytime there's a, a, a piece of particularly uh, popular Mr. Disinformation, uh, we are debunking that and we are providing the factual information on our website uh, that you know explains why that information is inaccurate or false. Very good. Uh, one thing we've heard as far as people questioning security and whatnot has been centered around absentee drop boxes. Could you explain the security measures in place for those specifically um, so that people know that those votes are accurately counted and all of that? We actually have, I, I believe, and, and this is anecdotal, just having conversations with my fellow secretaries of state, but we have some of the strictest regulations in the entire country on uh, security of our ballot drop boxes, our, our secured containers here in New Mexico. We have 24 seven video monitoring uh, as well as tamper-proof containers that can send alerts directly to a county clerk's office if any attempt is made to tamper or vandalize or otherwise um, in, you know, impede the ability for those containers to receive and keep those ballots secure. They are uh, picked up every single day by a representative from the county clerk's office, brought back to the clerk's office. Um, I, I will encourage folks who do use those ballot containers or who are voting absentee in general you can check whether or not your ballot's been received back by your county clerk, again, by visiting nmvote.org. Uh, it will let you know once the clerk has gotten that ballot back. Um, so you can have that peace of mind that your ballot got back uh, safely. Great, great. Um, I, I know your office in general had quite a mission towards making elections as accessible as possible. And you supported the New Mexico Voting Rights Act that stalled in the legislature earlier this year. Is that something that you're going to continue to push for? And will you make any changes to it? So hopefully it pushes through. Are you going to stand strong for what you originally proposed? You know, there are a lot of elements of the legislation that without a doubt in my mind have very widespread support in the legislature. And we're going to continue to work on those. These are things like uh, making sure that if folks want to only apply one time uh, to always get a ballot in the mail, that permanent absentee voter list, um, that they have that option, that formerly incarcerated individuals do not have to jump through additional hurdles in order to get their right to vote back once they have uh, been released from prison. Um, there are other aspects, you know, that were more controversial this session. And while I think they are many of those aspects of the bill uh, are still very important and they go towards voter access, the important thing I think we're going to do over the summer ideally is continue to vet these policy proposals through the legislative interim committee process. Um, start building uh, consensus. So as we head into the legislative session in 2023, um, we have consensus legislation that has been well vetted um, and we'll have a much longer legislative session in order to have public input and to give legislators whatever additional time they may need to look into these issues and have their questions answered and feel comfortable with the plan moving forward. So yes, we're gonna continue to move forward, um, but we're gonna be very thoughtful about that and working both with the legislature and receiving public feedback. Great. Thank you, Secretary. And thanks for making time for us today. Uh, yeah.
And that's it for this episode of New Mexico and Focus, the podcast. We've got much more on deck for you in our next episode. Until then, though, follow us online at newmexicoandfocus.org or any of our social media channels, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. You can find us any of those places. Just search for NM in Focus or New Mexico in Focus. So appreciate you listening and tuning in. We hope this is valuable for you. If it is, do me a favor, leave us a review. It really helps with the algorithm and trying to get this podcast out to more and more listeners. But have a terrific week, a short week after the Memorial Day holiday. We will be back at you again soon. But as always, thanks for listening.